Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Blind and Maimed, was given on January 14, 2018, by Bethany Shea, in the series, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, my name is Bethany, and I'm one of the pastors here at Catalyst, and I wanted to say good morning and thank you for being here. Um, we are... Uh, starting in two weeks, we're starting a weekly Bible study here on campus. It'll be at uh, 6 o'clock from 6 to 7.30. We'll have pizza, and you can bring a couple bucks if you want to eat dinner with us. Um, and then we'll have a kids program during that time as well. So um, just you can plan on being a part of that. That's in the e-blast. And so if you don't already get the weekly e-blast, it's like the weekly email. Um, you can fill out one of the connect cards, which are somewhere around the room here. And you can drop it in the generosity boxes in the back. And we'll sign you up for the weekly e-blast. And that way you can know what's happening in the life of our church and how you can get involved. David. The e-blast does say June. It says June. Yeah. <laughs> and what date? It'll start on, not this Wednesday, the following Wednesday. Still January. It says June in the e-blast for the Bible study. We just want to let you guys be really prepared. (laughs) And get ready. Like, make sure to put it in your calendar. We expect 100% attendance. (laughs) June. That's awesome. I was thinking of our dog. Yeah, the dog's name is June. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So that'll start next, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary, and we'll have a kids program, and you can bring a couple bucks for um, food if you want some pizza as well. Um, and it, and the, the way that the Bible study will be set up is um, we will go deeper into the passage that we studied on Sunday. And so if, you know, we, what the passage that we study here, um, if there's more that comes up and you're not able to really, we aren't able to really process it here, then there'll be space to process it on, on Wednesday and get into more of a life group sort of a, of a setting as well. Um, any questions about that besides June? <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, let's pray, and then um, and then we'll turn in our scripture this morning. So if you could open up your hands as a way of symbolically releasing this time before the Lord. Lord, we are here with a posture of openness. We are here to receive from you what you have for us. God, I... I release all the things that are heavy on my heart and heavy on each of our hearts right now. We release those before you. We pray that you will hold them for us and with us. Lord, help us to be able to receive what you want from us today, how you want us to live, how you uh, help us to receive your love um, fully into our lives. Help us to receive your forgiveness and grace. Lord, uh, we also have our hands open not only to release, but to receive. So God, we we pray these things. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, Turn with me to Psalm 119, please, in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. um, And this isn't the passage that we're going to be studying this morning, but I felt like it was a good one just to anchor ourselves in as we go into kind of a heavier passage this morning. So Psalms is kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you go to 119, um, we're going to read verses 1 to 8 and then 9 to 16. Does somebody want to read 1 to 8 for us? Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, whose walk 
who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts to be fully obeyed. <clears throat> oh, that my way were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Thanks. Somebody else want to read verses 9 to 16? Thanks, Sam. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Please praise me to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Amen. Okay, on that note, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to read verses 27 to 30 this morning. And I can read that out for us. Jesus says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's kind of a heavy teaching. This was the first Sunday that we were going to have our tween group, ages 11 to 14, in the service. And I was reading through this passage, and I was just like, this is going to be really hard for our teenagers to sit through this. Uh, So Jason took them out, and they are uh, doing their own thing right now. So, yeah, Um, kind of a tricky passage. Uh, We've been in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, like studying his words uh, to his disciples uh, since August. We took a break over Advent, and now we're back into it. But basically, Jesus is trying to lay a foundation of what God's kingdom looks like. Um, And if you can recall when Jesus first began his ministry, when he first started before he even uh, got his disciples or, or found his disciples to follow him, his students, he was preaching a message of repentance. He says, repent for God's kingdom is here. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. And, and, and repentance is kind of a big churchy word that holds a lot of baggage for some of us. But repentance just means to turn, to return. So you're turning from the direction you're going to return to somewhere else. And, and to return to what? It's a returning to what God originally intended for people to live. And that original intention was one of shalom, where there's a sense of wholeness and completeness within yourself and within the the other people, the relationship you have with other people, the relationship that you have with God, and the relationship with our earth. So the sense of healing what has been hurt and helping 
uh, repair what has been broken in our own lives, in, in, in the life of our soil that we stand on, and in the life of our relationship with each other, but primarily the relationship with God. So he's saying, repent, return, for God's ways are here, and you get to be a part of it. You are invited to be a part of it. And so Jesus finds these followers. Uh, he believes these followers, are, these followers are students that can become like him. And throughout this portion of time, he's starting to bestow love and kindness on the forgotten and marginalized. He's healing people left and right. He's created a following of people who are very curious about what he's going to do next. And he goes to this area in Galilee. He, he crouches down on this hillside and taking a position of someone who would be uh, speaking in a synagogue. He then teaches them what God's kingdom looks like in practice, in everyday life. So his followers are like, okay, so this kingdom, I'm, see, I'm sensing this kingdom is one of grace, uh, and grace is awesome, it's great, but uh, God put all these laws in place for a reason, right? Like, we have all these rules that we're supposed to obey, and God put them there for us to obey them. So are, are you going to talk about those, Jesus, or are we just going to go on this whole grace thing? Because that will get us nowhere. And so Jesus is like, yeah, you know, we have to begin at the law and prophets. We have to begin there, but that's not where we end. That's not where we totally finish in the law and the prophets. And at this point in history, um, the people who took responsibility for the law were called the Pharisees. There were 613 laws that God had given to the people of Israel um, to obey. But these Pharisees had created... Uh, extra laws on top, almost 1,500 extra laws on top of the laws of God to create something called a hedge, a hedge of protection or a buffer between the law and the people. So that way, just to make sure no one would accidentally work on the Sabbath or make sure that everyone tithed exactly the 10%, and if you're supposed to tithe the 10% of everything you have, then that comes down to the smallest amount of spices, and that means that the extra cumin that you have in your, in your cabinet that you forgot that you had back there, if you haven't tithed that 10% of that cumin, then you are living outside of God's purposes and law, and that's a really big deal. So they created all these extra ones to make sure that you were living perfectly as possible. So Jesus begins this conversation on this Sermon on the Mount that day mostly to start peeling back the layers that have been placed upon God's intention. And almost like, you know, when if you go underneath the ocean and, there's, and you find um, old, old shipwrecks, and if you look at those old shipwrecks, there's like a calcification that happens on the items that are down there, and you have to chip away at those slowly and gently to see what was there 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago, this calcified understanding of God's law. So Jesus starts chipping it away piece by piece. And last week we started with his first one that he was chipping away at, which was, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And everybody's like, yeah, totally didn't kill anybody this week, last week, or my whole life. So I am in the clear. And he says, so yeah, that, that murder is, is wrong. We all get that. But I'm going to tell you that, that those murderous thoughts that you might have in your heart or the desires for another person to feel the kind of pain that they've given to you, that kind of fester in your heart, um, that's not good. I, I'm talking about the heart, Jesus says. You, and if you live with this kind of resentment within you, it's like a smoldering garbage dump in your heart. He says you can't worship God while treating people like garbage. He, he said, like, you got to make it right and then come to worship God. 
get it right with the person. And then today he says, you've heard it said, you should not cheat on your spouse. <laughs> no brainer, right? Okay, so I totally get it. it. Don't commit adultery. That's an easy one. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. You got it. You know, don't sleep with someone who is already covenanted with another person. Don't have sex with a person you're not married to. Easy, simple. People are saying, yeah, I've never done that. And Jesus says, I, but I tell you, don't even entertain those kinds of thoughts. Don't invite them in and be hospitable to them in your heart. Don't, don't be hospitable to those sorts of fantasies and don't make themselves comfortable in the home of your mind or in your heart because if you make them comfortable, they can ruin everything. So Jesus, he's not expressing these ideas to create new laws or new types of legalism among the people. He was revealing that the laws are important, that God put these in place for an important reason, but grace is better because the laws were not given simply to be obeyed. It's not just checking that off. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. The, the, the laws were given to the people of Israel to help shape their hearts to be the kinds of people that point the rest of the nations to the goodness and to the love of God. So those laws were good, but they became a litmus test of who is holy and righteous enough and who isn't, who belongs and who doesn't belong, who's in and who's out, essentially. And Jesus was revealing in this that, that everyone is, has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, of God's righteousness. We are all, we are not righteous on our own. We can never work our way into God's good standing, no matter how many things we can't, we don't check on the box that says that we didn't do that. And if this was just more law that Jesus is saying, if this is just more law, then we would be walking around with a lot of blind and maimed people everywhere. I'm assuming most of us in this room would be missing at least one hand, foot. I don't know. He didn't mention the foot, but why not? Like it, it would be a horrible thing. Jesus is saying that you can follow all of the laws perfectly while your heart is a haven to anger and lust and greed. So Jesus says here in verse 27, if you want to look back at it, it says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I know that, the, that these sorts of passages can bring up a lot. It can bring up a lot of um, feelings of uh, different traumas in your life that you've experienced with the the Me Too movement and and people coming forward with the types of abuses that they've experienced. This is something that stems from that sort of a space, and so I I just want to recognize that. Um, but Jesus is not saying this in the same way as like finding a person sexually attractive. This, Jesus isn't saying this sort of lust is about turning your head when you see somebody that's really attractive walk past you. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And, and the church has historically made these passages into a list of rules filled with shame where men are made out to be animals, not in control of their sexual appetites. And women are made out to be these sorts of wicked temperatures of like how we walk and what we wear and how we need to protect the men from these animal instincts within them. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here at all. I don't think Jesus spoke about adultery and sexual integrity 
for religious institutions to just put up more hedges like the Pharisees did. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to do here. And I don't think Jesus had in mind of youth group leaders speaking shame and guilt over their students for their very natural and God-given sex drives that we've seen again and again. I think Jesus was using this example, this very important example, because Jesus knew how easily our human hearts become hidden. I mean, if you look at the first sin in the Bible, the one that happened with Adam and Eve in the garden that day, and they chose something away from God, and what they did with their shame-filled experience of choosing a path away from God is that they covered up, they responded by covering up and hiding themselves. They chose to disobey God, and the way they dealt with their guilt was to cover and hide themselves, almost digging themselves into a deeper place of secretive shame. I think this conversation that Jesus was having here that day, it had more to do with our desire to cover and hide, our our desire to, to cover ourselves from what we've done, to hide from what we've done, and, and in the process, we separate ourselves from community when we're in that space of shame and covering. We, we become alone in our struggle, and we're not created to be alone, so it just even feels more isolating in a way. It's not what we're meant to be. We're meant to be out in the open. We're created to be seen by our community and to be seen by each other and to be seen by the people in our lives, but through deception and through secrets, these, these walls get put up. Oftentimes, we don't even realize that we've put up these walls. And these walls are put up between you and your spouse, between you and your community, between you and God, um, even you and yourself, like even between yourself. I've, I've, you know, when there's a sense of deception, we live in this space of thinking that it's fine. Everything's okay. I'll be fine. I'm going to get through this. It's no big deal. And it's almost like I've divided myself in that sense of deception. And this is where the act of confession to another person is so freeing. When we see and name the secretive and deceptive areas in our lives, confessing them and repenting of them, the power dissipates a little bit. It's like those those walls that we've put up and the secrets that we are hiding behind almost become a little bit crumbly as we put it out in the open. It takes bravery, but it's so good. Now, God created each of us with a hungry heart. It's a a hungry heart because God wants to be the one that that meets that hunger and meets that need. Um, Dallas Willard is a theologian, and he says that intimacy is a spiritual hunger of the human heart. Intimacy is a spiritual hunger of the human heart. We're created for connection. We're created for intimacy. Our desire is rooted in our longing for God. The desire for sexual intimacy is not wrong, but if we try to meet that desire in a way that's apart from God's purposes and apart from God's kingdom, it can be destructive to ourselves and it can be destructive to other people. Uh, The word for lust has to do with um, the desire to possess or to dominate another person or, or something in your life, and, and it's for your own gratification, for your own need to be filled, um, and, and almost like the sense of wanting to consume them. But oftentimes what we see is that, that it can consume us too, right? Like we can be dominated by our desires. 
And when we're not honest and vulnerable with what is going on with those who are closest to us, then it can consume us. I've known teenagers and I've known adults totally trapped and enslaved by pornography. And they're attempting to fill that God-given need for intimacy through a screen. And then they're finding that real-life intimacy from other people and from their partner incomplete and dissatisfying because it erodes after time. It breaks down that actual intimacy that we're created to have with real people, with real interactions. Lust can consume us as we can consume others, and it can create a type of hell within our lives. Last week, the passage that Jesus said was, you know, if, if you say you fool or raka, which means like a separation or, uh, from people, if you say those things, you are in danger of the fire of hell. And we talked about what hell was, um, that word for hell. Uh, the word for hell here is uh, it's translated into a word called Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place in the place outside of Jerusalem, outside the walls of Jerusalem in a place called the Valley of Hinnom. And hundreds of years before Jesus was crouched down on that hillside with his disciples that day, uh, the kings of Judah would go to this place, and that was where they would sacrifice their children to the Canaanite god Molech. And because this place was like so horrible, it was considered cursed, um, it later on became just a smoldering and sulfurous garbage dump. It's where the people in Jerusalem would place their garbage. It was where they would place animals that were dead. They would place uh, common criminals would be dumped out there. Their bodies would be dumped out there. This was no good place. And so when Jesus is saying it's the danger of the fires of hell, it's the dangers of of the fire of a literal garbage dump out there that can erode your whole soul. Being trapped by lust, By living this double life of deceit and secrets, it can create a kind of type of of hell for yourself and and for other people. And and God wants to set us free from that and to fill every hunger for intimacy that you have. God deeply desires for you to find everything you need in God's love for you and approval of you right now. God wants to know you. And God wants you to allow yourself to be known and seen. The word for sex that we have in Hebrew is translated from the word yada, and yada means to know. It speaks of intimacy and mutuality and connection. It speaks of commitment to be known by someone. And the irony is that when we translated from the Hebrew into the English word, our English word for sex comes from the Latin word sakar, which means to amputate. It means to cut off. It means to sever. Sakar means to sever, to disconnect from the whole. And what you see is that sex can either be very intimate and knowing and binding together, or if it's not in the right space and circumstances, it can be isolating. It can even be isolating within your partnership and marriage. Sex can be something that unites you and your spouse together. It could be something that isolates and amputates. 
And this is why Jesus uses such extreme language in what it means to flee from this kind of a life of deceit and secrets. He's not literally saying to make yourself blind and maimed in the same way that he's not literally saying in the passage before to leave your animal on the altar for a week while you find that person that might have something against you and then come back when this animal's now like rotted and then make your request to God. He's not saying to literally do that. He's saying it is so important. This is such a big deal. He is wanting his followers to get a picture of how serious this is, to cut it out, to cut it off, to flee from this area. Or as the great theologian Snoop Dogg says, to drop it like it's hot. (laughs) He is a great theologian of our day. To let go of it completely. The heart is hungry for intimacy. This is a good thing. Intimacy is important. We are created for it. And we will seek it out oftentimes at the cost of a harm to ourselves and the cost of harm to other people if we're not directing that fulfillment of finding fulfillment in the Father. If our focus is on other people to find that, to fill that need, that hunger, and not the Father to fill it... uh, your passion for Jesus. I feel like we need to have our passion for Jesus as that, that primary gaze, that the fixing our gaze on Christ to find those needs. And, and I think that comes before your marriage. It comes before your children or your job. It comes before your idea of what your future will look like. If our passion is on Jesus, then we won't be disappointed by everything else. You may not have your needs met by your partner. You may find your kids rejecting you. You may find your job sucking the life out of you day in and day out. You, you, you may find that you don't know what the future holds. And all these things can, can, can create excuses in our lives. Like, well, I'm just in a really bad place right now. This is, it's a really hard time. My partner's not meeting my needs. And, and, and we almost want to blame other people for our destructive behaviors. But Jesus wants us to find our passion and our identity in him. Jesus wants to set you free and, and heal any area of your life that's causing, that's causing pain to yourself and to other people. And Jesus already took all of your sin and did away with it on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions to make us reborn in him where the old way of living and finding our meaning and identity is gone, where we've left that and we've returned back to this identity in the Lord. And Jesus says, repent for God's kingdom is here. Return to who God created you to be and live as God created you to live. We were born hungry. Hey kids, Emily, or sorry, Brooklyn and and Antonio, you need to go back to Sunday school, okay? Yep. Please obey. Thanks, Carla. Um, Anything coming up from this so far? I know this is a hard teaching and it can kind of bring about some weird feelings and emotions and thoughts, but anything coming up? Any questions yet? I'm going to close with a story here in a minute. All right. Cool, cool. (laughs) Um... So a couple of years ago, I went on a trip with my girlfriends to Las Vegas. 
we ate good food together. Like we watched, it was during this basketball tournament that was happening and we watched tons of basketball games. We played at the pool all day. It was amazing. And we stayed in the second biggest hotel in the world. Um, and over three days that I was there, I kept running into the same dude randomly. And he was attractive and he was forward. And um, there was some sort of weird, unexplainable chemical connection. I don't know if you've experienced with people that you're just like, whoa, something's there, there's a spark. And, I, and, I, and it was really unnerving for me that I was a feeling that. And nothing inappropriate happened according to the pharisaical laws. According to all of those things, the outside of myself looked great. I mean, on the outside, everything was fine. No laws were broken. But on the inside of my heart, I began to create a space of hospitality towards all this attention I was getting from this random dude. And I left Las Vegas feeling just fine about these small, non-physical interactions that I had with this person. I never expected anything to happen in the future because we didn't know anything about each other. And then when I came back home, within a day of coming back home, this guy had Googled pastor, because I always drop that pastor. It creates walls for people. It's great. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no, we don't have to have a conversation. It's either, they'll either be like, whoa, I don't know. We cannot even talk because you're, you're like a weirdo. I know it. Or they'll be like, let me confess everything to you, pastor. <laughs> it's rare that it's ever in middle ground. <laughs> he Googled Pastor Bethany California because that's all he knew about me. And he found my Facebook page. Oh, a picture of me, got on Facebook, and sent me a message. And again, I hadn't broken any law. The good Pharisee in me was doing just fine. So on that, let's turn to James chapter 1. It's in the back of the Bible, um, after Hebrews. James chapter 1 And I'm going to read verses 14 to 16. James says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Really quick about temptation. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not wrong. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So I'm going to stop there for a second. The deception that I was living into was one that was built on a lie that I wasn't hurting anyone. I was only texting There was nothing to worry about or be concerned of. And I was able to keep the secret under control. And the world would say that if you're not hurting anyone and if it makes you happy, then everything is fine. Okay, now turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I'll read verses 1 through 3. Romans 12. Paul says to the church in Rome, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I'll stop there too. So after two days of chatting with this person through Messenger, I knew I needed to confess it. I knew I needed to allow Jesus to shine his light into those dark and hidden spaces that I wanted to keep covered. I knew because of this weird connection that I had with this human that lived on the other side of the country, I knew that I could not white-knuckle this on my own, and I wasn't designed to do so. I wasn't designed to figure out how to get out of this on my own. And so I confessed it to a local pastor. I deleted this person from my contacts. I asked him to never contact me again. And then after prayer and repentance, I, I told Jason about it. And from the outside, everything looked fine, you guys. I mean, even from Jason's perspective, because it was so short-lived and nothing physical took place, everything seemed under control. You know, according to the world's standards, no one was being hurt. And the attention I was receiving made me feel happy. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. The pattern of the world says, if it makes you happy and no one's hurt, do it. No big deal. But God, in his amazing mercy and, and grace, it began to show me that I was trying to become nourished through other people's regard for me. I desired to be filled with attention, to be seen by other people, to find my meaning in something other than God. I was thinking more highly than I ought to of my own ability to control my thoughts. I was thinking more highly than I ought to in my own ability to be righteous on my own. And Jesus said, hey, everyone said, no one's left out of this. No one's got it together. Everyone has fallen short from what God desires us to live in. And yet Jesus took our shortcomings and over and over again invites us to, fit, to find our hungry need for intimacy to be met through the Father. No matter how wonderful Jason is as a husband or how perfect our marriage might seem or anything that happens in my life, I am a sinner in, needs of, in need of God's grace. And I have a hungry heart that is meant to be satisfied by the Father. And Jesus reveals the heart of it all and proclaims grace over perfection, confession over secrets, new life over covering and hiding, and then he says, I never lost hope in you, Bethany. I am with you, Sam. He says, this is my body broken for you. He says, this is my blood shed for you. He says, this community is willing to walk with you, to love you, to pour out grace for you. And Jesus just says, repent. For God's kingdom is here and you're invited. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into communion. So Jesus, um, I know this is a hard teaching because it's so real. And you take these things that are 
um, almost easy in some ways to avoid the laws that, oh, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that. And, and then you flip it on its head and you reveal the heart of it all. God, you didn't put these laws in place for us just to obey them. You put these laws in place to shape our hearts into the kinds of people who walk in your grace and mercy every day. <sighs> Jesus, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for new, new life again and again. I thank you for a community that is not one that's built on shame or guilt, Lord, but is built on vulnerability and being seen. I thank you for a community that is accepting and loving and committing to each other to walk through the hard parts of this life. Lord, I pray forgiveness over each of us in this room, that we can receive it and accept it and give it. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.